you guys are gonna see. You're gonna literally see the craters on the moon with your oh, own yeah. eyes. Oh my goodness. With your own eyes, I'm telling you, it is gonna be unbelievable. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve... Oh, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. I'm Michael Duncan, joined by my co-hosts here, Comfortably Smug and Josh Holmes. Guys... Kamala Harris and the child actors. It's so weird. It, it's so weird. I, I was thinking, so it's impossible to like Kamala Harris. Yeah. She's very, she's like, <laughs> she's wooden. She's weird. Right. They have to hire, the, the fact that they have to spend taxpayer dollars to hire child actors to interact with her, where she's like, this is the moon. And they're like, wow. It's, it, I it, can't it, get enough of this story. It's so I mean, great. We, <clears throat> it kind of broke live during our recording of our last program. Yeah. And and I it was so it was fun to react to, but like then we found out more about it was like a Canadian uh, casting director and I mean the, whole the production thing just, the production company was no joke called Sinking Ship. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you just can't make it up. It's like everything they touch turns to shit immediately. Yeah, and and the thing is, is she's so unlikable, and so they've been trying to turn the ship around. Like her advisors and everything are like, oh, we're going to try to like soften her image, reintroduce her to the public. It's like anything she does is trash. She's just inherently unlikable. She's, it's just like Hillary Clinton all over again, except Kamal's got none of the accomplishments. Like she's never <laughs> secretary of state. She just showed up and she's weird. So if you didn't listen to uh, to Tuesday's episode and, and you missed our segment on this, Kamala Harris does this video, um, you know, promoting basically space, right, yeah. for Na- for NASA. And there's all these children they're talking about space and yada 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 but like they were child actors it was all fake and there's this great quote from one of the local news reports this is uh this is from one of the families of of one of the kids who was selected then after that like a week later my agent called me and was like hey trevor you booked it (laughs) you booked the gig (laughs) this is like north korea smug it really is it's like uh like when they have Kim Jong-un like walk through the vegetables and everyone's supposed to clap. Wow. That's what this is. They're like, okay, now you have to listen to Kamala say weird things about space. Like, and you're going to see the moon and there are craters on it. And the kids, it's like cue card holds up. Kids be amazed. Wow. The moon has craters. (laughs) So good. I was picturing the comms director that set this whole thing up and they they filmed that pile of garbage. I guarantee you there's somebody in the Kamala orbit that's like, oh, yes, boss, you nailed it. Well, that's a good point. I'd love to get the director's cut of all the footage because if this is the best footage they got their hands on, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. there must be ones where the kids are like, I can't do this. Well, yeah, it's like Veep, right? It's just like Veep, and you would love to see the deleted scenes. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) We got a big, we got a very big program today, fellas. Yeah. We've got uh, Senate candidate Adam Laxalt from the great state of Nevada, uh, in all likelihood, a determiner for who holds the majority next year. Now, quick disclaimer, Michael and I's company does a little bit of work for the Laxalt campaign. So take it for what it is. Uh, but we, we just absolutely love this race, love this candidate, and I think you're going to love the interview. Also, full disclaimer, my company does not, and I still think he's rad, so I can't wait. <laughs> so, uh, 
Guys, shifting gears here to some uh, incredible news. Uh, the Fauci movie came out and turns out that audiences are uh, not big fans of Dr. Fauci. Uh, <laughs> this, Rob- is, this is unbelievable. Yeah. It's great. It's, you know, it's, I love stories like this because it, it, it's another proof point. It's another proof point of the thing that we constantly tell you here on the Variety Program is that the people in charge of the institutions in this country and media and Hollywood are so out of touch with, you know, the sentiment in this country. And nothing more stark and more clear than on Rotten Tomatoes that the tomato meter, which is, you know, the professional reviewers of these films, gave it a 91%. Rated fresh. (laughs) Audience score 2%. Amazing. (laughs) Oh, so good. And, you know, it actually gets even weirder. Uh, Hans Menk on uh, on Twitter, this guy noticed that IMDb, uh, where where Fauci's documentary had a 1.6 um, on its reviews, uh, that the re- the rating was basically fortified overnight to a 5.8. Uh, but like you know, on their rating system, there's breakdowns by you know gender and demographic and. <laughs> The fortified uh, reviews that were basically artificially boosting the rating uh, lack a lot of that demographic data. So people are sort of scratching their heads and saying, huh, how did Wait, that so, happen? So so just to get this straight, so IMDb basically saw that everybody hated the Fauci film and decided unilaterally that they were just going to give it a higher rating? Well, you know, I don't know. I, I, we don't we don't know uh, how that went down. You know, it, it, it could be some liberal botnet. You know, who who knows? I mean, I don't think we have a statement yet from IMDb on that, but it is incredible. Oh, my God. <laughs> These people. These people. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of when the people actually do have their voices heard, this is a red wave update. Iowa. We have an update from Iowa. Uh, House District 29 in the election, that seat got flipped from blue to red. Republican John Dunwell defeated Democrat Steve Mullen right after Ruthless was out there in Iowa raising spirits, getting you know, getting people mobilized. That's so. right. You know what? You know what? We'll we'll take we'll take the W. One hundred. We'll take the W. Uh, the district is about you know forty minutes away from from the Iowa State Fair. So you know we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna put this in the win column for the old variety program. This is a a seat. <laughs> This is a seat uh, that would be, had been in Democrat hands for 46 years. Yeah. Wow. And it went 59-41 for Dems in 2018. So, red wave. I love it. God, they continue to deliver time after time. I love that state. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And, you know, look, I mean, the Democrats that are in power right now in Washington see the writing on the wall. We got John Yarmuth from Kentucky. Uh, Holmes oh, yeah. and I know him know him well. Um, big time liberal uh, has announced that he's not going to run for reelection. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. so this dude, just a quick aside, this dude, he, he started in politics about the same time as Mitch McConnell did. Right. But he always had this like supreme jealousy because McConnell sort of did everything a half step better than he did. <laughs> and and so in his later years, right up before he became budget chairman, I guess is what he is now, 
But he literally would run for Congress if for no other reason than to troll McConnell, right? He was basically like the dial a quote in Kentucky for somebody who could say something bad about the guy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, literally his entire public service was related to what he thinks about Mitch McConnell. Okay. It was really like one of the most, I, 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 I really humbling moments for him i imagine no 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 i, I i'm sure it was i holmes you may remember this but but in the the 2020 campaign mcconnell campaign yarmouth made some comment to a local reporter that you know if mitch mcconnell agreed to five public debates he'd run against him for senate in 2020 uh we promptly immediately accepted and then he was like oh man i was just just uh just kidding <laughs> I was just kidding. I was just, just kidding. Just kidding. But I mean, you know, to your point, Holmes, you know, budget chair uh, announcing a retirement does not uh, ex- does not um, no, show bad. a lot of confidence. It doesn't show a lot right. of confidence in the Democrats maintaining their majority. If you're the chairman and you think that you're going to be chairman again after the midterms, you're going to stay put. That's uh, for people who watch this stuff closely. The first sign of panic is if you get a chair because nobody likes to give up the gavel. Right. Right. If you're reasonably confident that you're going to hold a majority, the last thing you do is is waste your 20 plus year congressional career that it took to get a gavel to then resign. Right. I mean, he sees the writing on the wall. The rest of them are fleeing like crazy. Pelosi's got one foot out the door. You know, I mean, red wave. Let's go. Let's go. So. I, I also want to continue with the theme of how Dems are having to cope. You know, all the rats are jumping off the sinking ship. Aaron Blake in the Washington Post says there are three stats that show how much the deck is stacked against Democrats. <laughs> stacked. De- First of all, can we talk, the deck is stacked. Yeah. Nothing we can do. When, you know? when, when they have the House, the Senate, and the White House, the deck is just it's completely Higher stacked. Higher education, yeah. media, media, Hollywood, everything. Um, <laughs> the, journalism, as, you know, c- case in point. Um you know, I remember uh, uh, saying that, oh, you know, uh, Republicans are controlling everything. I would maybe listen to the cards are stacked against us at that point. But when you control every institution in this country, it's it's completely ridiculous. And they say, right. here's the three points that Aaron tries to make in here. It says uh, the House and the GOP's big swing district edge, which, OK, that just doesn't exist. Clearly, when you don't have a House majority, uh, the Senate and the lack of blue states. I like how there's just it's it's reporting, folks. This is not political. It's a lack of blue states. There's a lack, you know the real you know the biggest problem we have out there. A real lack of blue states. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But this is this is my take as a journalist. We need more blue states for this to be fair. And it says the electoral college and its historic and growing GOP bias. There's a GOP bias of the electoral college. Um, it, and the arguments are beyond dumb, but I think it actually shows just how much control the Democrats have beyond just, you know, the House, the Senate, the White House, that they can trot out, you know, reporters in the Washington Post and say, oh, you know, everything is stacked against the Democrats. They're making a call for more blue states in in, in the Washington Post as a reporter. Well, I think, you know, it, it, it's <laughs> what, what, what I love about this. What I love about this is, um, you know, clearly, I think what what has happened in the Democratic Party is that they've gotten so focused on these woke cultural issues and being led by, you know, the professional managerial class uh, on the coast that they've really lost touch with rural voters, working class voters. Um, And so what they see as a historic and growing GOP bias in the Electoral College what they're seeing in, you know, the Senate benefits Republicans because of these, you know, small population states is really their party's 
um, you know, abandoning of those voters, right? It's like, it, totally. They did it. I, I, <laughs> it's not I mean, us doing it. I mean, our show has a perfect example. Why did that Iowa House District 29 go Republican? Right. It's not because, oh my gosh, there's not enough blue states in Iowa District 29. <laughs> it's maybe because the Democrat Party no longer cares about their base of support. They don't care about working class voters. For 46 years, this district was solid Democrat. Right. And it goes Republican. I mean, in, the, this, th- in that, this specific case, however, Smug, it's the Ruthless Variety program. Exactly. That has the, <laughs> <That's>, uh, 100%. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I've looked around and there's not enough blue states. That's the real problem. That's the problem. That's the real not problem. enough blue states. Oh, <laughs> man. So we have Halloween coming up, folks. Finally. Uh, great holiday. Um, I think what's most important here <laughs> is uh, for us to discuss our, our favorite Halloween candies. And, and, and so there, were, there was this poll which came out from YouGov which said the most popular item for kids to snag on Halloween night is uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's solid. No it's solid. Yeah. Yeah. The no chocolate brainer. candy won 75.9% of its matchups. Wow. Okay. So can I, guys, can I tell you guys a story? So when I was in college, I lived off campus. I went to the Arizona State University, and we lived off campus in like a house, right? It was a residential neighborhood where kids would come and, and trick-or-treat or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I had this roommate named Biff. And Excellent. Already and I'm Biff, liking the story. Like, you know, the, the normal reaction for college kids on Halloween is like you, you basically just go out, lock the door. You know, like you just don't participate other than go into your own costume party or whatever. Biff wouldn't have it. He, he had to sit at home and greet every kid as they came to the door. But instead of giving them candy, he would like <laughs> rummage through whatever we had in the cupboards and give them like Campbell's soup. (laughs) (laughs) So like some unsuspecting kid would come up in his little ghost or goblin outfit and like trick or treat. And and Biff would like greet him with this big smile and then hand him a, uh, like a meatballs. (laughs) Honestly, at this age, I'd I'd take a can of soup over over candy. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, What's, what's, what's your favorite candy then Duncan? Oh man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, I like Reese's. I, I I wouldn't say it's my top. I love Snickers. I would say that's that's right there. You know what? I, re- I love a good uh, peanut M M&M. and M. Yeah, peanut. I would say I'd say that's my number one. Yeah, uh, I kind of think a Butterfinger is sort of underrated. I like the Butterfinger. See, yeah. uh, if we're talking any candy, I love candy corn in general, and it's perfect for Halloween. Yeah. But if we're talking like, you know, those like mini candy bars, yeah. I'd say Almond Joys are great. Kit Kats are great. Uh, I think Snickers are way too busy. Really? Way too busy. I, I think uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are trash. What about a Babe Ruth? No, that's way too busy. A little Baby Ruth. Way too much happened there. Uh, and, and the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups is like way too much. Way too much peanut butter. I don't want that. It's horrible. <sighs> you know, uh, there's one. there's one more I really like, which is... I mean, a lot of people don't like it. I, I like a Heath bar. Really? You know, just the straight toffee. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's sort of like an old. That is. That's, that's a, a boomer. That's candy. a boomer candy. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say a Heath bar? Yeah. The yeah. boomer bar. I like it. Wait, I like do toffee. They still make Heath oh, they bars? do. Oh, they do. They do. They do. <laughs> that's the oldest ass answer I've <laughs> yeah. ever heard. Yeah. It's like they still have them. It's a nickel at the Knickerbocker that's store. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> Are those little good? Remember the gum that was like wrapped up with the? Uh, I don't even know how to explain it. They stopped selling in the fifties. Oh, the I feel best. Like that's up your alley. Yeah, <laughs> the best is the trash candies. You know how some people hand out just like the absolute trash candies. It's like they they have like twenty pound bags of Target. It's like these aren't real companies. It's like right. wafers, like Necco wafers or whatever. It's oh, like, 
Don't if, don't give out. It's NECA like if, if you hate children, this is the you know the twenty pound bag of candy for you. It's or like, like $2. those those toffees that taste taste like nothing after two chews. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm not encouraging anybody to, to do anything, but if you had to egg a house, that's the house you egg. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man! Wow. Well, let's go. Let's talk about the economy a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. Um. Listen, we've been talking about like basically everything within the economy going south and the gas prices and everything else. Did you see the gas prices hit five bucks in Manhattan? I did. And yeah. and that is a lot for Manhattan. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know where this ends, fellas, but like this roller coaster is going right down to the ground. That's, so it says, uh, you know, this article we have from Fox 5 NY. Gas prices have jumped across the nation as oil prices reach a seven-year high. The average price of gas across the country is about three dollars and twenty-five cents a gallon. I mean, that's just shooting. That's that's up there. And it's just eight states have their average price under three dollars a gallon: Oklahoma, Mississippi, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Kansas, Alabama, and Missouri. And 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 we've been warning folks about this. Is you know, it's not like the Biden administration can try to play this off as oh, you know. It's a crisis. We, we have to act all of a sudden. This has been happening for a while. This is what happens when you shut down pipelines in the U.S. The only person who's allowed to have a pipeline is Putin. Like, you know, I thought the whole argument was the Trump administration was in Russia's pocket. The first thing that the Biden administration does is let Putin have his pipeline in Europe so he can control Eastern Europe's energy and shut down the pipelines we have here. And they're like, oh, what? Gas prices go up? How does this happen? I mean, they're just asleep at the wheel, completely asleep at the wheel. And, you know, some more news, you know, on the heels of that terrible, terrible jobs report. Mm -hmm. uh, we found out now that a record 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August, led by food and retail industries. Guys, uh, like, people are going to go to the shelves and stuff's not going to be there. That's pretty much where this is headed. Yeah. That's where this is You headed. know, you, you combine this with the supply chain issues we're having at ports and with truckers. That plus people quitting their jobs in food and retail, not and, good. And and the thing is that the message coming from this administration is trying to be like, everybody calm down. Everything's fine. We know you're paying a lot more for everything, uh, but don't worry about it. So uh, Janet Yellen on inflation, right now there's a debate whether it's the inflation we're experiencing is transitory or if it's here to stay. And Janet Yellen, very respectable person, very respected, says, uh, I believe it's transitory, but I don't mean to suggest these pressures will disappear in the next month or two. And then, uh, you know, BlackRock CEO Fink says inflation, this inflation is not transitory. The CPI number, the consumer price index numbers just dropped and it's uh, CPI rose 5.4% year over year. That's the highest rate in 13 years. No, that can't be true because the White House told me everything was cheap on the Fourth of July. Right? They said uh, you save sixteen cents on your groceries. Just abject liars. It's it's and and, and here's the number. So, uh, under Biden, this is this since Biden took office, gas is up forty two percent. Okay. Jeez. The price of bacon is up twenty percent. Eggs are up twelve point six percent. So you can't egg a house. You know, it's it's costing way too much. <laughs> you can't waste the egg. Yeah, you can't, can't do, do that. Um, so the thing is, is that while American consumers are feeling this. You know, you've got Democrats trying to pass this boondoggle bill that they're fighting over because the ones, uh, you know, the, the few Democrats who, who have their senses about them are like, I'm going to get voted out if I try to throw four trillion on top of these people who don't have jobs, who are paying more for everything. They're they're, they're going to kick me out. And right. meanwhile, you've got this, you know, the, the Looney Tunes from the like deep blue states 
that you know apparently Aaron Blake at the Washington Post doesn't think we have enough of are like no we we got to spend as much we got to build back better this is what build back better looks like well in the, and then they could let's say they go ahead and they pass this monstrosity right and they they inject a couple more trillion into the economy that we have runaway inflation in you know it, this isn't going to end tomorrow like it's not like you flip a switch and we're going to be no, here it's right miserably we're, worse we're going to be here you know 6 months from now and the same people, you know, cheerleading on this bill are going to be like, you know what? That one didn't actually go far enough. Bingo. You know, we need another one. We need another American rescue plan. We need another round of stimulus uh, to jumpstart this economy because hey, it's just not working. It just wasn't big enough. You just got to. <laughs> I mean, that's why Republicans just have to throw every wrench in the spokes as they can. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is all about trying to get to 2022 before these people literally ruin our country. Uh, exactly. And, and and it's hilarious to see what the focus of, of the Dems in charge is. What they're focused on. So Pelosi confirms that Democrats plan to use the IRS to track bank accounts with as little as $600 in deposits and withdrawals. Like, this is bonkers. All they want to do is, like, get their tentacles deeper into controlling people's lives, monitoring people's lives, having everyone do what they say. Because they're like, okay, well, these policies clearly that we want lead to chaos and ruin. Uh, Maybe we can trick people into just giving over more. Dude, these people don't know what's in this bill. They don't know how they're going to pay for what's in this bill. Trillions and trillions of dollars. But what they're focused on is, you know, if you if you transfer 600 bucks, like that is insane. Insane. Like if you run a fancy football league after everyone pays your dues. Right. 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 Or if you go go on a trip, if you go on a trip and your buddy covers the hotel, you know, and and dinner and you got to pay him back on Venmo. Like the government's going to track that? Yeah. 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 That's 100%. Right. It's ridiculous. That's exactly what it is. This, yeah. I mean, this isn't billionaires Venmoing each other. This is ridiculous. No, it's completely insane. Can so, I lighten the mood for a minute and talk about a, a great dude's rock moment? Oh, yes. Always, always here for those. So, <clears throat> this dude, did you guys hear about this dude who ordered 100 tacos on his first date? Just oh. seeing this now. What this a king. <laughs> Incredible. So, what a king. So, this lady, she shares her, her story and. It, it, she had this guy on a first date and uh, they go to a Taco Bell, right? First of all, I think you've got to be a little suspect if you're a woman and, and you're like, hey, first date, let's go to Taco Bell. But for but, the dude you know, to pull that off, yet again, dude's rock. He's like, yeah, we're going to be a Taco yeah. Bell. And she shows up. Right. <laughs> I bet he even splurged for the Supreme with this with the sour cream. Yeah. Not going regular hard shell. <laughs> but the dude says... They, they show up at the drive-through lane, and the guy orders a hundred hard shell tacos. Yes, right. That's, that's a flex. Yes, and then he turns to her and he says, "Sorry, I can't find my wallet." <laughs> and so she has to pay for the the things, and they take the tacos back to his house, where he proceeds to unwrap them and eat a hundred tacos in silence. No way. This is. Yeah. No way. I'm looking at this article now. It says, Myers says she agreed to pay, and they returned to his house only to eat the tacos at his kitchen table in silence. This is just like (laughs) ultimate win for this dude. (laughs) Listen to this line. The man's father briefly joined them before Myers decided that the date was over. (laughs) She took the remaining tacos with her. How, 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 How did she get all the way back home and watch him start eating the tacos? That's what I want to know. Like how did it go that far? This is such a like this is such a win on so many levels. So he he's like first off he pulls off convincing her to show up to Taco Bell for the date. Then he has her pay for a hundred tacos. Goes back to his place, starts eating them in silence. Even Dad rolls up. 
So he even hooks dad up with some tacos. And then she's like, you know what? I've been owned. I'm out of here. Dude's rock. All on her dime. She, he must be a charming <laughs> young man. I mean, like what, what, I, what I would really have loved to see is like, I mean, 100 hard shell tacos. It's a lot of tacos, right? Like you don't just have 100 in the back yeah. of Taco Bell ready to go. Like, so, so there must have been 15 minutes of silence or discussion <laughs> after that order where you're sitting, they make you pull around. They're like, okay, we'll bring you out the tacos. Yeah. What did they talk about? <laughs> what did they talk about in that 15 minutes after he ordered the 100 tacos and she agreed to pay for them? Well, nothing. Apparently it was silent. Unbelievable. Uh, that, is, that is unbelievable. That is more impressive than just ordering the 100 tacos. It is. <laughs> it's such a boss move, though. Think about it. I want a hundred tacos. It was like it's it, got to be sounds on the other end when when Taco Bell hears it, and it's like, yeah, I just I just said it. Well, but here's my boomer moment on all of this. My boomer moment on all of this is like kids these days with their TikTok and everything. I bet the girl was like, you know what? This is content. This is content. This will be a good video. Yeah, it's probably right. And he's thinking the same thing. And he's like, you know, we're gonna let it ride. We'll see how far we can take this thing. I'm I'm gonna text my dad when we get home. He's gonna join us and eat the yeah. tacos. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the icing on the cake. Leaves, right? Yeah, that was icing on the cake. Dude even hooked dad up with tacos. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Fellas, I hate to skip ahead here, but I really think we need to play a game. Yeah, let's do it. Let's play King of the Hill. Let's go. Oh, I um, love it. So, I love it. So Holmes has uh, Bill Crystal, our, our reigning champion, right? Smug, Smug who, who, who do you got this week? The one, the only, the brainworm queen, Jen Rubin. Wow, this is a battle of titans. Well, I think we should go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. In the red corner, fighting out of the Washington Post, our queen is back. To reclaim her throne, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. And now, in the blue corner, fighting once again out of Pierre Omadier's checkbook, and reigning champion of the world, a neocon fails on Bill Crystal. Oh, oh, just love it. I love when we have a King of the Hill where we have Ruben and Crystal. It, it, you know? It's, it's going to be a top-tier fight. Man, okay. It okay, really well, is. so Holmes, you have to go first in the first round. What do you yeah. got? Um... So one of my favorite things about Crystal lately, this was never, this isn't a long-term play, but what he's been doing lately is paraphrasing or using poetry or songwriting. Yeah, the Taylor Swift one from last week was incredible. Incredible, right? So <clears throat> he brings out T.S. Eliot again. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? So it's from uh, in the mur Murder in the Cathedral, and T.S. Eliot, uh, his character, says, the last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Right? That's, that's the T.S. Eliot. Uh, so uh, Bill Crystal says, for so many conservatives today, to be alarmed is the greatest treason to do the right thing for a simple reason. <laughs> 
Ruben has this. That's, Ruben has no this. way. It's just so <laughs> bad, dude. It's so. I mean, give me the West Wing music. Crystal. Crystal's become a one-trick pony. Ruben's got him here, and okay. this is great. So, <clears throat> I want to preface this by saying that uh, you know, reading this, it really strikes me like the brainworms have have burrowed finally to like the central cortex or wherever all the decision making is being made in her brain, because she she can no longer tell what she's saying, whose side she's taking on a take. So this is uh, uh, Jen Rubin, uh, October 12th, 7.44 p.m. Imagine a GOP in which McKinnon and Matthew J. Dowd would be respected. Their voices heard. No, I can't either. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Wow. Good for her. Good for her, Jen. Great take, honestly. I I, I really love how she's just... It, she is. It's. It's like. It's like the brainworms have 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 reduced her down to her reptilian brain. <laughs> it's reptilian brain. Know, it's just, fully functioning on reptilian brain. There is. <laughs> there is no. There is no high level argument. It's just a very simple, simple statement. And she's like, "This has to be said. This has never been said." <laughs> oh man! Wow, this one's tough. Don't sleep on T. S. Eliot. No, I mean, like, look, they're both great, and they're sort of on the same theme. Just they approach it from a different angle. I also like how she's sneaky, like almost dissing them. Like she does. The worms have 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 gone so deep. She doesn't realize she's dissing them. She's like, uh, doesn't make sense to me either right, that right. these guys would get respected. Well, and, and that's <laughs> doubt the, is not respected. I I can see that. Well, so so so, and and that's the, that's the additional layer I like about this one. Smug is is there is an, a new concerted effort with the Bill Crystals of the world and that Miles Taylor had, you know, another Mr. Anonymous from the Trump administration had another op-ed in the New York times saying, Oh, you know, Republicans need to basically start a third party, uh, you know, to defeat Trumpism in the GOP as if like, that's a novel idea. And they haven't written this op-ed 15, 16 times. Um, so Ruben almost sort of undercuts that point is that is like, like what you're selling has no purchase in the Republican Party at all, and for like uh, she's undercutting this new current yes. that they're saying no, we we have a new concerted effort to retake the GOP, and for that reason, Smug wins round Let's one. Let's go! Oh man, the lizard oh, brain man. knows no. That was life. a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm getting a little tired of the the Swift and the T. S. Eliot, but I, th- I think, I think Ruben just edged out there. Okay. All right, we'll shoot another one, smug him. This is, this is another great one. Okay. Uh, again, I reiterate, the worms have really gotten in there. They're out of control. Uh, this is uh, October 12th, 11.41 a.m. Jen Rubin. A record number of workers are quitting their jobs, empowered by new leverage. At a time, unemployment benefits were being cut off. So maybe ours have it wrong. Maybe workers need more help. All it caps, more help. <laughs> She's like, wait, people are just leaving their jobs for unemployment benefits? That's what needs to be done. More help. <laughs> 4.3 million people leave the workforce. Yep. And she's like, you know what? More. 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 More help. More. That's a suggestion. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Wow. Oh. All right. So my rejoinder combines a couple of awesome traits about Bill Crystal. Uh, one is that his modern day life is governed entirely by how he can wedge Trump into every single conversation. Right. I mean, he just can't, he can't think of the world as if it doesn't have some bearing on Trump. So everything's through that lens. 
Secondly is now that he's thrown in as the quote unquote Republican for Terry McAuliffe. He like tries to do everything he can do uh, to hammer on Glenn Youngkin, right? Apropos of nothing. I mean, it's just like, it's beyond stupid. So anyway, he comes with this, which is just like a perfect, I love this so much. Remember Wendy Rogers, the crazed Arizona fake election auditor promoter who's denounced Arizona's Republican governor, Doug Ducey. She loves Glenn Youngkin. <laughs> it's just, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel for guilt by association. It's just incredible. <laughs> oh, man. I just, I love it. I love it. And, you know, it's, um, I've seen, I've seen a couple of other tweets on that same thread. Holmes, yeah. where you've got um, you've got like you know the Pod Save Bros out there being like, well, we should ask Glenn Youngkin about Ashley Babbitt, you know, like like why why is the media not asking him more about Trump and Ashley Babbitt, you know, like as if right. as if that has any bearing on the Virginia governor's race, and you can right. see what they're trying to do is like they want to launder all of this bullshit through the media, and they expect the media to do their job. Right. As if, but as if anybody knows who. Wendy right, 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 right. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if, if it's the thinnest gruel, like they think it's a four course meal, you know? <laughs> and for that reason, for that reason, it is one to one. Holmes wins round two. All right. All right. I'm going to break genre here. Okay. Because I think it's a perfect indication of Bill Crystal and his sort of ivory tower on life. Can you believe how out of touch college football Twitter is going crazy about some no defense game between two random teams, Texas and Oklahoma, while ignoring the tense Harvard Cornell game where Harvard's undefeated season is on the line. (laughs) I got this. I I 100% have this. Okay. Okay. This is, this is on October 11th. Jen Rubin. This, to prevent a successful coup in 2024, it is imperative to elect Democrats at every level of government in 2021 and 2022. Democrats should break a Senate filibuster to pass voting rights legislation that would help ensure free elections. Like, the thinking here is incredible. She's like, the only way to prevent a successful coup is to control every branch of government, which they currently Currently do. do. But the only way to ensure this... (laughs) is to break the Senate filibuster so they can have an actual coup and rewrite yeah. voting rights in this country. She says the quiet stuff out yeah. loud. She said, that's the thing, is the worms have no filter. Wait, so when you started that tweet, she said this. Yeah. So, so was she quote tweeting something? She was citing the Washington Post. Uh, I think it was her own article saying that, uh, no, no, yeah, I'm no Democrat. I'm voting exclusively for Democrats to save our democracy. It's just the, it's the most tired yarn. Like, yeah. how how is this a new phenomenon that 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 gets printed every day in newspapers i mean what's just shocking that she has still gets a salary it's just incredible to me that that like all these media publications could look at stuff like i don't know the fact that cnn can't get more than seven hundred thousand viewers on any of their shows and then just ape that same content in all of their newspapers who is your audience and and, and and holmes really nailed it on this one with 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 her take it she says the quiet part out loud they're like wait a minute you're not supposed to say we want this so that we can control everything forever 
don't don't tell them that part, Jen. But the worms are at the controls now at this point. It's lizard brain time for Ruben. God, this one's tough, though, you know, because I'm a big college football fan. Harvard Cornell, just don't sleep on it. It's, it's just a big, it's a big matchup. And it's like, I don't know, I don't know where uh, Bill Crystal's more out of his depth these days, <laughs> discussing Republican politics or discussing college football. Right. You know, like, right. it's like, it's like, dude, just like, you're already bad at one. Why are you adding? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's really out of left field. Let's keep it go. Let's keep this train driving. I mean, I'll tell you, this, it, this line alone does it. Democrats should break a Senate filibuster to pass voting rights legislation that would help ensure free elections. Like, that's the coup right there. Right. That's the coup right there. Right. And she says it is right. what's crazy. Or like no voter ID. Yeah. They're going to stop signature signature verification on mail-in ballots. We're going to have 24-hour voting in Democratic strongholds. You know, it's, like even Aaron Blake at the Washington Post got right. the memo where they're like, don't say the, you know, don't say the quiet part out loud. He's right. like, we need uh, more blue states. She just said it. Right. She just says it straight up. She's like, we're going to do the coup to prevent the coup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got to coup him first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, preemptive strike it's, coup. It's, it's, that's that's smug, Ruben. Smug, you've sold me. Jen Ruben Let's wins. Let's go. Let's I'm go. devastated. The rain is brought to an end. <laughs> wow. Only she could stop Crystal. That guy was just marching. Marching in that college football take. Well, that was really good. That was content. pretty good. I'm glad you saved that for round three because it was a real left fielder. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to throw. You're going to get some flack from the minions on that. I know. I know. <laughs> I, look, I get it. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a big interview. Adam Laxalt. Let's go. I want to welcome to the program uh, a really great guy, somebody we've been trying to get on here for a few weeks, uh, who is currently running for United States Senate. And I think one of the most important races across this country could very well determine the majority in the United States Senate. Adam Laxalt, welcome to the program. Ah, thanks so much. Great to be on. Listen, pal, you're, you're sort of a unicorn candidate this cycle. You managed endorsements from the former president, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton. I think you might be the only Senate candidate, at least that I know of, that was endorsed by uh, Ron DeSantis. So you're doing something right. Well, you know, it's an important race and uh, glad to have some very, very strong conservatives and leaders for our country in my corner. And, um, you know, most importantly, excited to have so many great conservatives and Nevadans across my state that are ready to help flip the United States Senate and save our country from uh, this, this liberal madness that we're facing every single day. Uh, well said. Well, I think we got a little preview in your first tour of the, of the state of why conservatives are so fired up about your candidacy. I want to play a clip for you of uh, an interaction that you had with a reporter on the ground. If we can cue that up. Every single story you wrote was a hit piece on me. You wrote exactly zero stories attacking speeches like my opponent. And to my knowledge, you've written zero stories about Captain Cortez You go write about a dozen stories that actually critiques the record of my opponent, and we can do an interview. How are we doing, Dr. <laughs> I mean, so my favorite part about it is the is the end, right? You like in, undress this guy, and then you turn to everybody else. Hey, how you doing, guys? <laughs> well, like I told the guy, I'm ready to interview people that actually want to cover a race, but uh, people that are going to put the jersey on. 
Uh, I'm just not going to help the other team defeat me. I'm just, just not interested in that. And, you know, I think that what separates my generation, when you see people like Ron DeSantis and others that just, they just ref were not going to take this anymore. And, uh, you know, my last race, I tried to work with some of the Nevada media, but, you know, there's not much. And most of it is just super pitched to the left. And so, as I said there, I mean, we're in the middle of more crises in this country right now than we've faced in, in a decade or more. And she has still not been asked any of these questions about the border or BLM or critical race theory or Afghanistan. And I've got these reporters that are still just, they're reading off the Democrat talkers and you're like, come on, man, give me a break. Like, why don't we focus on the things that are affecting our state and truly affect our country? Well, I think that's, look, I think that's what people love, right? And you said it best when you said, I think it's a generational difference. It really is, in part because the media has always been bad, but it's never been this bad, right? And, and now it appears almost everywhere you go, almost every Republican Senate candidate is forced into a box where they can only talk about what the Democrats want them to talk about. And you, like Ron DeSantis famously does this, the former president did it, did it to a, a perfection. But I think you're seeing more in your generation of guys that, that are doing exactly what you just said. No, no, no. We're going to talk to the people directly. We're not going to talk about what you want to talk about. I mean, it, just since I've been in this race, the majority of the questions I received are still about Donald Trump. And you're like, hey, I am not playing ball with this strategy that the Democrats want to still make the next election about Donald Trump. Uh, this is going to be a referendum on the current president of the United States that has clearly failed in every single way imaginable. But no, I need to be on the defense and they want to always try to somehow blame everything on a president from a year ago. Um, but this is just how they play the game. And you're right. It is generational for the media, too. We have a few over 60 reporters in our state. I, look, I think they're Democrats. Uh, they probably vote Democrat. But they're old school in the sense that they're reasonable. Uh, they're going to ask hard questions of both sides. And, and the, the reporters you have now are in their 20s and maybe in their 30s if you're lucky. And the bottom line is they're just, they're, they're coastal elites and they don't even know people that have conservative values. So, right. so some of them actually come by it honestly. They, they, they think they're just covering what's real and true. Um, and they just carry the water for the left. And we can't take this anymore. Uh, I have, I'm not going to take it this, this election. And uh, we're going to participate in reporters that are fair, which there are some in my state, but otherwise, we're going to make sure we're putting heat on Catherine Cortez Masto and, and her failed record and the president and the left that she just stands ably by every single day for the last five years. My, my favorite was a reaction from our, our friend of the program, Molly Hemingway, uh, who I think a lot of listeners know from, from Fox News, uh, where she said, I didn't know who Adam Paul Laxalt was an hour ago, but now I'm probably a fan for life. <laughs> So I think, look, I think what you're doing is having some resonance out there unquestionably. Yeah, well, look, we just have to, we have to be on offense. And, um, you know, 
the 2018 cycle uh, in many ways ended up being a defensive cycle for Republicans and the media and all the narratives successfully put everything, you know, put all of us on defense. But we can't allow that in 2022. Uh, they need to be held accountable for all of the failed policies we're experiencing today. And um, again, like, you know, I had another spat with a different reporter that ended with me telling the guy like, hey, uh, if you're going to just walk in the interview with a blue jersey on, then, you know, I'm not going to participate with this. Uh, if you're going to be fair, I'll answer all the questions. We'll talk about the election. But, you know, these guys, they don't ask you about, you know, what you're running against or, you know, my successes when I was attorney general or, you know, how my military experience informed my leadership or my life. It's, you know, immediately attack gotcha questions beginning to end right out of the right out of the gate. Um, and it's just, you know, you know, I, I think back actually to my first race when I had never run before. I had never spoken to an audience. I had never done fundraisers. And I jump into this attorney general race against this odds-on Democrat favorite that, that had all the, the, the people that run Nevada, they were all supporting him. And I jumped in that race because um, Barack Obama at the time was at the, the peak of, of, of destroying our constitutional system and ramming down our throats, executive orders day after day. And, and attorneys general were doing an amazing job of fighting back. And so here in my very first race, my very first speech and my very first interview. And this reporter, and you gotta put that in quotes, first question was, so why don't we first talk about all your drinking problems when you were a teenager? You gotta be kidding me. Swear to God. And I'm like, you like, hey, I'm not embarrassed of my teenage years and, and I am blessed to have gained my sobriety. Uh, which I still have for over 20 years now. Um, that was the very first question I got running for political office in this state. That's and amazing. That just gives you, and by the way, it was the headline in the second biggest paper in the state. Um, it was the headline of like plagued by, you know, teenage years or something. You know, I had already like gone to Georgetown, graduated from Georgetown Law School, served in the Navy, been to Iraq, like all these things that we could have highlighted. Uh, and instead, it's like, yeah, let, let's go back to when he was 15 years old. And it's just, this is what you get, though. Um, and unfortunately, too much of the media, they have a side, they know who they want to win, and uh, they don't even hide it anymore. Yeah, well, well said, well said. So I want to get into a little bit about why you're doing this, because, you know, you were, you, as you said, you were Attorney General of Nevada, won and probably in that race. Um, but most people outside of Nevada, they got to know you over the last year, basically when you were representing uh, the former president and, uh, and some legal challenges, and, and which we can talk about more if you want to later, uh, which has been hysterically mischaracterized by the media in Nevada and beyond. But my bottom line is you, you have this beautiful family, uh, this wonderful group of friends. You're living the good life. You're looking around. I mean, you really want to get back into politics. What, what, what's, the motive, what's the motive to jump back in this mess? You know, and there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, this business has become terrible. Uh, <laughs> you know, being in office isn't some great prize. Um, if you do the right thing and stand up for things, then they come after you even harder. Um, but at the end of the day, 
I had to look out at our country and, and know that we're losing our country. We're losing the values that have made this nation the, the greatest nation on earth. And, you know, how can I not uh, get back in the arena and try to defend my state, give Nevadans a voice uh, that they currently don't have, and fight back against everything that we're seeing? Yeah, I could just retreat and, and, you know, try to live a good life and protect my children. Uh, but in the end of the day, my children, by the way, for your listeners, are eight, five, and three, and, and we have one on the way. Um, but <laughs> in the end of the day, um, this is not hyperbole when I say my kids may not grow up in the country that we grew up in and your listeners grew up in. And I hear it. Just finish a full statewide tour. You hear that from grandparents' age. They think their grandchildren are not going to grow up in the same America. And so uh, now is our time to fight back. Um, we have to fight back now. If we don't, a few years from now, I don't think we'll be able to reverse the tide. And so, you know, we're, we're suiting up. We're, we're going to take the hill. And we want to be, be the 51st United States senator, take back a majority. And as I tell audiences all across Nevada, the things that we are all worried about today coming down the pipe, the 3.5 trillion, um, the, the insecure border, uh, nationalizing elections, uh, getting rid of the electoral college, packing the Supreme Court. I mean, people are really, really worried about these things and they should be, as I always tell them. The Democrats could pass these things today, they would. And so if we're the 51st United States Senator, that all stops. Yeah. It stops instantly. That doesn't save our country, uh, but at least stops the liberal march. It gives us a chance for new leadership and reverse the tide in our great nation. Yeah. Well, look, it's well said. I also, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you weren't the reluctant candidate, right? I, I know personally you had everybody from Donald Trump to basically every notable Republican alive calling you, begging you to get into this race. And you took a look around and said, you know, if this is, if this is my spot, if I can do it, if I can actually represent and win, I will, which is, you know, look, I've been doing this a long time <laughs> and we've tried to recruit a lot of candidates and everybody sort of passively wants to be courted and talked through a bunch of different, and, and you, you, on the other hand, had the reaction like, look, if I can do it, I'm going to get it done. And you have it, it, it. Look, I'm six. I'm looking at a headline right now. Six weeks in, you raised $1.4 million. Look, we've 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 gone we've gone to work, and uh, I, I'm super fortunate that people are ready to support this effort. Uh, people are engaged and motivated, and they understand the stakes. I mean, it's I, I have two things going for me um, that that I, I've been blessed to have in my last race, which is people do believe in me. They think I can be one of the next generation leaders for our country. Um, on top of the fact that they believe that this is a winnable race and this can be the 51st United States Senate seat. And so um, we're going to just keep charging the hill. And uh, the numbers look really, really good, the polling numbers as well. And uh, look, I, I have to remind people that, that, yes, we've lost the presidential the last couple cycles. And so when that's the lasting image you have in your head, you're watching the electoral college, Nevada went blue, people start thinking, oh, this is a blue state. The president lost the state by two percentage points in 2020. 
Yeah. I mean, this is the most narrow swing state in America. And uh, all we need is the, the, the country to be moving in the direction of the right instead of the left. Independents right now are breaking wildly in our direction. And, and uh, as, as long as that holds, we're going to win this race. And I find it hard to believe that Biden is going to go back and earn the trust of the American people after this catastrophic start he's at. No, no question about it. And we're also reminded here over the last couple of months that there's no such thing as a moderate Democrat, right? Which is <sighs> unbelievably how your opponent, Catherine Cortez Masto, characterizes herself and how some in the, in the media characterize, which is even funnier because, you know, look, it, you don't have to actually have a research book in front of you to realize that we're, we're like a month, maybe two months removed from her voting for Bernie Sanders's socialist budget in the middle of the night. Like moderates don't do that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, look, I, I remember one of my first interviews, the, the reporter said, well, you're running against a moderate <laughs> and you're a conservative. And I just looked at the reporter, I didn't know him. And I said, look, uh, she's only moderate in the eyes of liberal reporters uh, <laughs> and, and the ruling elite in Nevada. Like, yeah, she carries the water and then the water that every, you guys all like. And so she seems mainstream to you. But her record is that she supported Chuck Schumer 98% of the time. She's with Biden 97% of the time. Um, again, the media is pretending like Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are moderates. Uh, and if, if anyone believes that, then, you know, this, this is what they like to push. But, but the reality is we know who the moderates are in the United States Senate. Joe Manchin and half Kristen Sinema. She is not Joe Manchin. Anybody, anybody listening to this ever even heard of Catherine Cortez Masto? Most no. people know. Um, but even if they've heard of her, like, they, they, no one thinks of her as Joe Manchin. Well, you're the, that's the point. That's the, what you just raised, I think, is a really important point, right? Because there is a time to be a moderate, right? When your party is trying to jam $3.5 trillion worth of taxes and spending down the American people's throat, you have people like Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, who I would argue they're not even that moderate. But they're saying like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Catherine Cortez Masto, the, the, the president went out and said, that her vote's already part of it. She, he said, I already have 48 votes for three and a half trillion. That includes- In the bank, in the yeah. bank, rock solid. <laughs> yeah, look, and, and, and you know, critical race theory, which is the most offensive, dangerous thing for the country. Um, guess who voted to defund critical race theory? Joe Manchin. And, and by the way, for pre-K and elementary school, I mean, there's no debate that we shouldn't be jamming down but, you know, basically teaching racism to our kids and to teach our kids to hate each other. Um, but, but Catherine Gordes Masto, reliable vote that we should continue to fund critical race theory. And so um, we're going to town on this thing and we're going to keep fighting it. Uh, but it is just amazing to see the media just, they just throw the word in and they throw the word conservative in for me, which I am a conservative and, and, um, and, and will always be a conservative. Um, but, but like what they do to repackage Democrats, and I want to add one more thing. No Democrat runs in the state of Nevada statewide as a liberal Democrat. They run as this super squishy centrist and, and they get away with it. And then they get in office 
and they don't do it. Uh, they, they're, they're supporting the far left. And even still, this is both the governor and Senator Masto, both examples of this, but they're still being called moderates. No, after, after many years of now a record that they did not turn out to be the moderates they campaigned on, no accountability from the media. Yeah, no, it's 100% true. I want to get one more issue here before we get to our last three questions. I know that one that, that resonates pretty deeply with you and you had sort of an emotional reaction to as we all did, but it's fallen off the front page headlines, which is a shame, uh, but none of us are ever going to forget it, and that's Afghanistan. And I, I know you bring a, a an interesting and specific perspective on this because of your service in Iraq. Um, What's what's your reaction to everything the everything from the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan? Well, there's just no question that politics is can be filled with hyperbole, uh, and both sides sometimes go a little far with with talking about issues. It is 100% true that 13 service members died as a result of the failed exit plan of this president. We could have done it. 99 out of 100 other ways and no one would have died and so it is just it's appalling and offensive and i just my, my heart breaks when i think of uh the families that didn't get their 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 either mother or father back when it was absolutely not necessary and from my own perspective i did detainee operations in iraq and you know the, the, the missions that our SEALs and our special warfare officers did to go capture these bad guys at great risk. We lost guys uh, doing these missions. Uh, it's hard work and arguably one of the most important things in, in, in this battle space that we've had for 20 years is get the really, really bad guys uh, off the battle space for good. And they opened those prisons. And it's now, I think, confirmed that one of those people that was re released from the Afghanistan prison was the one responsible for the suicide bombing. And, and you're just like, how in the world did that happen? Uh, we need investigations. Uh, my, my, my best and most cynical guess is from the same crowd that says we're going to release the Gitmo prisoners no matter what, whether we find a safe uh, institution for them in another country or do some drug deal with some foreign country. We pledged that we were not going to have Gitmo open. That same mentality was brought over to Afghanistan. They're like, look, we're just, we're not going to hold on to these people and, and we just need to release them. We don't want to take the heat from our base. Um, and I want to know the answer to that because these people, it's, it, some reports are 1,500, some reports are 5,000, but thousands of hardened terrorists are now back into this really unruly environment and they're going to go commit acts of terror again around the world. Yeah. Uh, geez. It's just, it's, it's a scary proposition. And as someone who sort of worked in that space, I got to imagine that you've got a lot to say on that. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, somebody was showing me the other day, uh, a former military guy showed me this channel uh, a signal channel that a bunch of Af spec war Afghanistan veterans were on. And they were the ones that were communicating with some of the people they work with and trying to get them to exit points. And I just asked the guy, so was the government involved in this at all? They're like hundred percent private effort. Um, and they're like, where were our people? Where was the government? Where were our 
ruling elites that were supposed to do this right and get our Americans out, get the correct and proper Afghanistans out, which is a hard task. Um, it was just such a catastrophic failure. Yeah, no, uh, no question about it. We need people to uh, replace the folks that made all those decisions or, or the people who just sat meekly by and asked no questions at all, which it appears Catherine Cortez Masto uh, fits into that category. Let's lighten things up a little bit, Adam. I, I got three big questions for you. The ones that everybody- All right, I'm ready. Okay, so <laughs> the first question is, if you could choose your last meal on earth, what would it be? Um, I think it would be the largest place plate of pasta with uh, massive homemade meatballs (laughs) and uh, just incredible Italian sausage, uh, Parmesan cheese, you name it. I'm I'm just a a total, complete sucker for Italian food. Yeah, well, that one will shut you down, too. You'll be ready to slide in sideways after that, right? (laughs) Exactly. Then just go ahead and lay down. It's all over. It's all over. (laughs) All right. But I'd be a happy man. Yeah, no, it sounds like a good, you can't beat a good Italian food. No question about it. Um, All right, so second question. If you never got into public service at all, and that dates back basically, you know, to your time in Iraq, we're going to go through your time in AG and now running for Senate. If you never got into this at all, what do you think you'd like to be doing with your life? Oh, uh, I think I'd like to be a, a quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, I've been um, waiting for somebody to say that. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. If I was like, you know, maybe six inches taller and maybe 50 pounds heavier, or actually 70 pounds heavier, uh, then maybe I'd be a middle linebacker, which is a pretty, pretty awesome position too. But uh, yeah, I think I'd be a professional athlete. It's, it's, uh, you know, the, the, this political business, man, it's, it's, it's rough. Yeah. They don't hit any harder there. Just physically, uh, physically <laughs> a bit more imposing. That's a good answer. All right. So here's the, here's the third and final question. I'm actually sincerely interested to get your, your answer on this, but what motivates Adam Laxalt more the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Well, um, I have experienced both um, uh, incredible upset victory in AG and uh, losing a race that, that at least by our, our numbers, we, we thought we weren't going to lose. And, uh, and I guess um, it's got to be the latter then. I mean, losing just was absolutely a terrible, terrible feeling. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm going to kind of give you both, you know, really, really want to win. I'm really, really competitive. Um, and, and, and want to do a great job in the Senate. Uh, I also absolutely do not want to lose a statewide race in Nevada again. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think you've got to, you got to split. If I'm guessing if from the outside looking in, you've got a lot of agony and defeat in you, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, it's such a more optimistic cycle, and uh, there's just so much more energy to be able to go go take the hill and go win this thing. So, so that's why I'm leaning in that direction. Just the thrill of victory. We're just going to go win this thing. All right. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Adam, tell people where they can find you and help your effort. Very easy. AdamLaxalt.com. L-A-X-A-L-T. AdamLaxalt.com. Uh, it's going to be a huge race. It's got massive importance for our country and all the values you believe in. I would love your support, and uh, thanks for considering. Appreciate it.
You got Adam Laxalt, ladies and gentlemen. Big candidacy out in Nevada. We're uh, happy you joined the program. Thank you. Thanks so much. So here's the absolutely the best thing about this guy is that he comes into this race an entirely different politician than than the one that everybody assumed he was in his last run. Like he he is going super aggressive. Any reporter that stands in his way, he's basically just clear cutting at this point. Outstanding. I mean, you love to see it. Yeah, I no, love to see it. What what I love about about Adam is he refuses to play their game. And the number one mistake that Republican candidates make is they get cornered by the press into validating their narrative. Yep. And we don't have to do that. Nope. It is not our job to help them. Just right. because they're going to take the talking points from the DSCC and chase you around the state, you know, for the next year, it doesn't matter. And, and with, the, with the Internet and the power that we have in organizing, go right to the voters. I mean, we don't need that filter, the media and their approval. 100%. It makes a lot of sense when you consider his roommate at one point was Ron DeSantis. Right, 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 right. right. And like, I'm, you know, I'm biased. I love the guy. You know, we, we, we work for him, but, you know, I think, I think we should support him, folks. Outstanding interview. And you know what, gentlemen? That was another banger of an episode. We got a good interview, got good banter. And so, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.